Hello there. Welcome back to Case Acquaint. You have found episode 35. Quick reminder and an update before we get started. Ashley Mice, who was profiled briefly in episode 25, is still missing from Ogden, Kansas. If y'all remember, Ashley is a veteran who was battling PTSD when she disappeared. After initially believing she was last seen going on a jog, authorities eventually tracked her whereabouts over the next day or two and were able to find out that Ashley's last known location was a local bar. She had contact with a friend the following morning, a Saturday, but it was a phone conversation and her location was not known. She had experienced a pretty disappointing last few days. And while she was going through a lot in her personal life, she wasn't hiding that. And she didn't indicate that she was planning on responding to it with any drastic measures, according to family. Ashley has not been heard from since May 19th of 2018. It's now been three months. And in that time, she's had no activity on her cell phone or bank accounts and no contact with her loving family or trusted friends. Ashley's about five foot four. She weighs about 140 pounds. She has short brown hair that is shaved on both sides. She has brown eyes and sometimes wears colored contact lenses. If you have any information on Ashley's whereabouts, please contact the Riley County Police Department at 785-537-2112. Please share Ashley's story, and don't forget, there is a $5,000 reward associated with this case. If you or someone you know is struggling with PTSD or thoughts of suicide, please call 1-800-273-8255 or look on our show notes for some links. Next, this is a long time coming. We're very pleased to be able to tell you that one of the rapists we talked about in Episode 3 of our I-95 series has been caught. We talked about a person they were calling the Ramsey Street Rapist. This is a guy who was pretty violent. He had broken into women's houses, going through their windows. He even attacked them as they were jogging. But what most women remembered about him was how bad he smelled. He smelled really dirty and gross. Police had his DNA, but he wasn't in CODIS. If only they would have taken a sample of his DNA when he was arrested for one of his many petty crimes over the years, this case would have been solved earlier. But they did get a Parabon snapshot done of him based on his DNA. They uploaded his DNA to the genealogy sites, and what do you know? A family member of 43-year-old Darold Wayne Bowden had submitted their DNA. It was only a matter of time after that. Now the Parabon snapshot does look pretty close to what he would have looked like when he was committing these particular crimes, I gotta say. We'll post some pictures and links in the show notes. Congratulations to the Fayetteville PD and Cumberland County Sheriff's Office for not giving up on this and for getting this dirt bag off the streets. Bowden never moved, by the way. He's been consuming resources over in Linden this whole time. 
He is being held on an over $18 million bond. So see you never, Daryl Wayne Bowden. That's it for brief updates. It's always nice to have a little good news to share. Now we're going to continue with our main story for this episode. It's a heartbreaking tale of more turmoil for loved ones of two men who police now believe were murdered in cold blood by someone they loved and trusted. This is the story of the murders of Damien Skipper and Arthur Knopflin Jr. At nearly midnight on the evening of March 16, 2016, a report came in to the New Orleans, Louisiana dispatch. A pickup truck in a vacant lot in the city's lower ninth ward was on fire. Emergency personnel responded immediately, put the fire out, and then discovered a body in the backseat of the truck, burned beyond recognition. The next day, a woman in Baton Rouge called the home of her in-laws to tell them that she hadn't seen her husband since the morning prior. The in-laws found her phone call a little bit strange, but they asked her if she had filed a missing persons report. No, she hadn't. Well, said her father-in-law, if a man is missing, don't you think you should file a missing persons report? The woman considered the idea for a few seconds before saying, I'll give it a day. Rosalie and Arthur Knopflin Sr. didn't know their daughter-in-law, Michelle Hale, all that well. So the phone call struck them as disconcerting. At the time, they never could have dreamed what kind of daughter-in-law they really had but they were soon to learn much more about her than they'd ever wanted. The timeline for all these events we're gonna tell you about is gonna sound a little bit confusing in areas. I'll just let you all know right up front. That's because the lives of these two men we're going to talk about today are connected by one person who seems to have vacillated between the two of them for whatever reason. She claimed to have been married to both of them, but was in fact only legally married to one. So this person is Michelle Hale. She is from, curiously enough, a town called Slaughter, Louisiana, and most of these events take place in and around Baton Rouge, of which slaughter is included in its general metropolitan area. Now, not a whole lot of personal information has been shared about these three individuals we're going to talk about. Michelle has some kids. At least one of these kids is an adult. You'll hear about that later. She also shared a child with Arthur Knopflin Jr., who it is believed she married in 2008. That relationship appears to have been somewhat rocky, and by 2014, Michelle was living with a man named Damien Skipper. Damien worked for United States Environmental Services, USES for short, and he himself had a large family. 
He had several children he was supporting. He also had a large extended family who cared about him very much. He turned 41 years old in May of 2015. And right after that, this previously robust and healthy man began to see his health drastically decline. On June 22, 2015, Damien went to the Baton Rouge General Medical Center, ER. He had been vomiting. He said he had abdominal pain and cramps for the last four or so days and also diarrhea. He told medical staff that he felt he might have gotten food poisoning. He was treated and released by the next morning. But later on in the day, on the 23rd, he was back at the hospital emergency room, saying he got food poisoning again after eating some food his wife, Michelle Hale, had prepared for him. He was diagnosed with gastroenteritis, and then he was discharged on the 24th, at which time he was referred to a gastroenterologist for a July 5th appointment. But then on June 30th, Damien was rushed to the ER again. He was in cardiac arrest, and 41-year-old Damien Skipper never regained consciousness. No autopsy was performed on Damien Skipper, and his manner of death was not ruled suspicious. Even though he had, previous to these ER visits, been a reasonably healthy, you know, only 41-year-old man, but all of a sudden up and dies of a heart attack. Well, Damien Skipper's family was blindsided, as I'm sure you can imagine. They couldn't understand why he kept going to the ER for symptoms of food poisoning, as he called it, kept getting released, but his health only got worse. They felt that when he said he had gotten food poisoning, someone should have been looking into that possibility, but all the tests they ran on him showed nothing suspicious. At some point after Damien's death, his mother requested that the East Baton Rouge Parish coroner's office exhumed Damien's body and perform an autopsy along with a full toxicology screening. But the coroner's office responded that they would not be doing that. The skippers couldn't even themselves pay for a private exhumation and autopsy because Michelle Hale was listed as the next of kin. Imagine how frustrating that would be. At that point, Mrs. Skipper was upset that Damien clearly had an urgent health issue that wasn't properly addressed, which is what caused the cardiac arrest, and she felt the hospital was negligent. In the meantime, Michelle Hale applied to collect on Damien Skipper's $10,000 life insurance policy, claiming to be his wife. And immediately after Damien's tragic death, moved back in with her estranged husband, Arthur Knopflin. Arthur Lee Knopflin Jr. was a 42-year-old train conductor with the Union Pacific Railroad. You know, that is not an easy job. It's long hours, hard work, but it does pay pretty well during good economic times for the railroad. A person can comfortably support a family on a conductor's salary. Knopflin was married to Hale, but like we said, 
doesn't appear to have been a solid relationship. Hale, who we couldn't find much of a work history on, seems to have immediately moved in with Knopflin after Damien died. And up until that point, Knopflin, who was a valuable asset as a provider, had listed the beneficiaries to his life insurance policy as his mother and his young daughter, the daughter he had with Hale. But after Damien's death, in fact, not even a month after Damien died, Arthur, for some reason, was compelled to change that, and he made Michelle Hale the sole beneficiary. And this time it wasn't no $10,000. This time, Michelle was looking at collecting $750,000. Well, not even five months after that, guess who shows up at the hospital ER? You guessed it, Arthur Knopflin. He actually had a few trips to the hospital with the same symptoms Damien Skipper exhibited. But hold on a minute. Arthur Knopflin had to have had some knowledge of Skipper's death, wouldn't he? And Skipper's family was even then trying to get Damien's body exhumed. There's a chance Michelle might have thought to herself, maybe I should have had Damien cremated. So, instead of poor Arthur Knopflin, train conductor, father, son, brother, and friend, dying in a hospital where there was admittedly a slim but still a chance that an autopsy would be performed. He was found dead in his burned-out truck, dumped in a New Orleans vacant lot. Of course, Michelle immediately attempted to collect on Arthur's life insurance policy. But the insurance company wasn't going to rush it since Arthur's death was now a murder investigation. By this time, not only had Damien Skipper's family been putting pressure on authorities to exhume his body, they were well on their way to filing a malpractice suit against the hospital and doctors associated with Damien's case, believing that Damien had died from food poisoning from Michelle Hale's cooking. In situations like Damien's death, it can really depend on the hospital staff, even if they cannot be held liable for not using their common sense. There are many, many cases in which people die of poisoning, and the only reason it comes to light is because of an extremely alert and suspicious doctor or nurse. Otherwise, nobody would even know. There's a similar case that we're reminded of from Dallas in which a woman was poisoned and had the same experience leading up to her death as Damien had. She'd even said the same things to medical staff that Damien had said. Well, when she died, the ER doctor told the coroner that the death seemed suspicious, and he asked that toxicology tests for poison be done. Now, this woman happened to have been poisoned by arsenic, which isn't the case with Damien, and arsenic, it's actually a pretty routine part of toxicology tests when poison is suspected. Unfortunately, even if they would have performed that same exact testing on Damien at the time of his death, they wouldn't have found anything. Damien wasn't poisoned with arsenic. This woman's husband poisoned her with arsenic, but he had previously tried to poison her with a substance called barium, 
he made the mistake of putting the barium in her drink. The white powder just floated around, so she rejected the drink. Undeterred, he then resorted to arsenic and thankfully, that choice ensured his conviction of her murder. So we had Damien, dead since the end of 2015, sorely missed by his family. Then police identified Arthur Knopflin as the victim in the burned-out truck. Obviously, an autopsy was completed on Arthur, and what they found was that Arthur was dead when that fire in the truck was lit, because his lungs had no evidence of having been used to breathe while there was smoke nearby. The lungs remain in an enclosed chamber if you're not breathing. Because it's still an ongoing investigation, they have not released the exact cause of Knopflin's death, and they haven't released his autopsy. However, authorities have said that his manner of death was homicide. So since they're now investigating Knopflin's murder, they began searching property associated with Michelle Hale, and they seized belongings and electronic devices of hers, and also of her adult daughters, and the daughter's significant other. From that evidence, they found a treasure trove of incriminating information. But it wasn't just information related to Arthur Knopflin's death. And they realized that because of some of the dates, they may have another murder on their hands that they previously hadn't investigated, despite the pleas of the Skipper family. This evidence showed that as early as February of 2015, Hale was searching the internet looking for poison and researching a substance called barium acetate. She searched terms like barium poisoning heart failure, and she asked, is barium acetate soluble in alcohol? They also noticed that she was looking at Damien Skipper's benefits package not even two weeks before he died. They found that she purchased barium acetate over the internet. Let's stop here for just a second and talk about barium acetate. What is it? Well, it's the salt left over when acetic acid and barium carbonate react. It looks like a white powder. It offers industrial utility. It can help affix dye to textiles, and it can help paint and varnish dry faster. It's also used in chemistry lab classes for experiments. It's not commonly used as a poison, even though it's deadly. This is because it has no application in a household setting. In other words, there isn't any good excuse for having barium acetate in your house. Now, there's a pretty famous case associated with barium acetate, and it's actually another case from Texas like the other one we mentioned. It was the murder of a man named Stephen Robards by his teenage daughter. She got the poison from her high school chemistry lab, and she poisoned her dad. He died at the hospital, and his cause of death was ruled just the same as Damien Skipper's heart attack. She would have gotten away with this murder, but she told a friend, and the friend turned her in. Once they knew what to test for, they were able to exhume his body, test for the barium acetate, and corroborate that information. The daughter was convicted, sentenced, did some time, got out, changed her name, and now lives among the good people of Texas again. 
As I said, this is a pretty well-known case. It's been profiled on TV several times over the years. So there's a chance Michelle may have gotten the idea from this pretty high-profile case. But back to Michelle's little home-based chemistry lab. We're going to start getting into planning here, unbeknownst to Damien and Arthur, of course. This is some of the most incriminating evidence against Michelle that's been released to the public anyway. January 8th, 2015, Michelle invested in some barium acetate. She ordered it online. On February 25th, she performed some internet searches about poisoning with barium acetate. On May 8th, 2015, she bought more barium acetate online. You know what happened on June 30th. Damien Skipper's horrific suffering comes to an abominable end. She spends the next several months trying to collect on the insurance policy, trying to fend off any inquiries from Damien's family. And don't forget, she's moved back in with Arthur and gotten herself made the sole beneficiary of his life insurance policy. Fast forward to December of 2015. That's when Arthur goes to the hospital and almost dies. He was a healthy guy. That couldn't have but puzzled doctors. Later, Michelle would blame all that on some green tea and dietary supplements. I think we all know that if Michelle had been telling the truth, well, Michelle would have been suing those companies and ain't no way no how would Arthur's body wind up burned. That body would be in pristine condition. But since he didn't die at the hospital in December of 2015, Michelle must have run out of barium because she bought even more barium acetate online on January 11, 2016. That's three times that we know of they got Michelle buying barium acetate. And by the middle of March, Arthur Knopflin Jr. was dead. So that's some of the stuff they found when they finally got around to doing some formal searches. This obviously resulted in police suspicion in Skipper's death. A little over a year after Arthur died, in May of 2017, Damien's body was finally exhumed. They tested it for barium acetate, and it was positive. So they're able to classify his manner of death as homicide, and the cause was acetate poisoning. The coroner admitted that even if they had done an autopsy at the time of his death, they wouldn't have been able to establish the cause because they don't routinely test for barium acetate. It's just not a common enough poison. What would have needed to have happened was exactly what eventually happened. Although it's unfortunate, Arthur Knopflin Jr. died first. Meanwhile, there were a couple civil court cases at play. There was the malpractice suit brought by Damien Skipper's mother, which was eventually dismissed. That might be due to the protections hospitals have against malpractice. So because of those protections, it's really hard to win a malpractice suit in this day and age. But you know, the thing is, the Skipper family knew something wasn't right, and they were probably angry nobody seemed to care especially Michelle Hale. 
Also, there was that large life insurance policy on Arthur Knopfland that Michelle wanted and probably felt she needed since she spent so much money on poison and went to the trouble of even disposing of her husband's body, thinking that'd be a better plan than taking her chances at the hospital. So she probably thought she worked really hard for that money. I guess sometimes you have people who think it's easier to work really hard on getting money dishonestly instead of just put in your average workaday, despite the example set by our two hardworking victims. Authorities are also looking at involvement by other people. We mentioned Michelle's adult daughter, Dominique Hale, and Nina Alexander, Dominique's significant other. The evidence they have, they say, that these two ladies helped Michelle dump Arthur's body in the truck, that evidence actually helped them get search warrants for these people's houses. According to the search warrants, Nina Alexander rented a Jeep Patriot from Enterprise Rent-A-Car in the early afternoon of March 16, 2016. Then she drove that Patriot to Michelle Hale's house in Baton Rouge, followed by Dominique, who was driving Nina's Chevy Camaro. At about 9.45 p.m., a license plate reader recorded Arthur Knopflin's truck driving from the Baton Rouge area towards New Orleans, followed by the rented Jeep Patriot. Then, a license plate reader recorded the Patriot again, only now it was headed back towards Baton Rouge by itself. The time was 11.48 p.m., 20 minutes after Arthur's pickup had been discovered on fire in New Orleans' 9th Ward. As you heard, Arthur's death sparked an investigation and that eventually led to the revelations about Skipper's murder. But they also found evidence tying Michelle to the scene of the burned out truck. In addition to the electronic evidence about Damon's murder, they found more evidence that she had recently been boning up on her knowledge of poison again. She was looking for, quote, heart-stopping drugs on the internet less than a week before Arthur was murdered. She also wanted to know, quote, can flex straps be used as handcuffs? Curiously, she even asked about license plate readers. Did she really think no cameras would pick them up inside those automobiles and that the police couldn't figure it out they'd rented a vehicle? Police found countless pharmaceutical bottles and injectors at Nina Alexander's house, some of which could cause cardiac arrest. So finally, after all this investigating, in May of 2018, three years after Damien Skipper's murder, a warrant was issued for Michelle Hale's arrest. She was tracked down and booked on June 5th, and she has been ordered held without bail as the evidence against her piles up in both of these heinous murders. As an added insult to Knopflin's family, Hale continues to jockey for his $750,000 life insurance, but the company has asked that the court have jurisdiction over disbursement. She even filed suit in August of 2016, trying to get the coroner's office to release Arthur's body to her. In the lawsuit, it's claimed that Arthur died in a, quote, auto accident. This woman has no shame. As for the Skipper family, Mrs. Skipper has now finally been listed as the next of kin for Damien. 
but they have little hope of ever seeing that $10,000 in life insurance money that was given to Michelle. Still, they did make a statement through their attorney to the media. Mrs. Skipper said, to get that call from the detective in charge stating that a warrant was issued was a relief. We ultimately want to know that she'll be put in jail and away from anyone else's loved ones. Will investigators dig up any more dead husbands or boyfriends in Michelle Hale's past? Will her daughter and her daughter's girlfriend cooperate with police? Will Arthur Knopfler's family ever see the insurance money that Michelle feels entitled to? Arthur has a young daughter who has lost her dad, and now her mom is in jail, may even be looking at the death penalty. How's this young person supposed to heal from that? There are still so many questions to be answered in these cases. But we hope these cases are both resolved quickly and fairly so the Skipper family and the Knopfler family can at least try to begin to heal. Nobody deserves to die the way those two men were so cruelly murdered by someone they trusted, cared about, and took very good care of. If you want to look into this story a little bit more yourself, we'll have some links in the show notes as usual. Not that we like to draw attention to the criminals of the cases, but Michelle Hill is quite the attention seeker. And like many psychopaths, she appears to have an extremely healthy ego. The pictures she's posted online of herself are quite indicative of her priorities. So we'll have some links on that if you're curious. That's where this story ends for now. We'll be watching as this trial moves forward and we'll keep you all updated. In the meantime, let us know what you think about this case. You know where to find us. You can start at casequaint.com. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.